welcome to the Catalyst Life Coaching Podcast with John Kim and Noelle Cordeau. The next Catalyst Coaching Intensive begins September 10th. If you're inspired to begin your own coaching practice or just want to learn a little bit more about what it's all about, visit shift.us, S-H-F-T for more information. Your adventure awaits. Hey guys, what's up? I have a great guest today and we're going to talk about, man, Chad, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> relationships, of yes, course. <laughs> the, the R word, relationships, yeah. um, which I, I love and Chad is a relationship coach, but um, let's introduce Chad and I'm going to let him do it. We go way back. He's also uh, an instructor uh, in our Catalyst Intensive, but also an amazing life coach. He specializes in relationships. And what I love about Chad is he, the way the, his angle on relationships is, is always starting with the relationship with yourself, which I think is so important. So, Chad, we go back like what four? How many years? Uh, it seems like a hundred, but I think it's it's four, maybe five. I think it's almost five. It's five years, but in internet yeah. years, it's got to be about a de- at least a decade. At least a decade, yeah. yes. So, um, how did how did we meet? And and tell us your story. Um, you have a great story. We uh, he was once known as the beer guy, which I love. And uh, he's also um, getting his PhD. He's doing a lot of exciting things. So, yeah. So, uh, man. So I decided I was I was the beer guy. Yes, for 18 years I worked in the the beer industry in uh, in, in various roles covering territory in Southern California, and it was uh, it paid well. It was great, but it was so unfulfilling. Yeah. And when I say great, it was because uh, I got to go to a Super Bowl and I mean, baseball games, you know, basketball games, football. I mean, you, you name it, I was able to do it. Concerts, Coachella, all that kind of stuff. But it just was so unfulfilling that I knew I needed to make a change. And uh, after experiencing some uh, uh, depression and actually being on uh, meds for about 30 days, I said, you know, screw this. This isn't worth it. Right. And this, because this isn't what I want to do. Why am I, why am I coping, you know, and, and trying to, you know, adapt to something that I hate. So, um, so that got me set on the, you know, finding a PhD program to do something that I really liked. Um, decided I needed to do some life coaching as well for one, the experience, but also I was drained. I wasn't connecting with people, uh, on a, in a, in a kind of intimate way. And, uh, as I was, as I finished up my training, um, uh, my then, uh, boyfriend was like, Hey, I have a cousin who, you know, works with this guy called the angry therapist and he's looking for some life coaches and maybe you two can, you know, meet up. So I spoke with Lindsay Burke and, uh, she then connected you and I, and that's kind of how. Well, we got this ball rolling. Um, be completely honest. When you first heard the the title, "The Angry Therapist," what did you think? I was like, "About time." <laughs> oh, really? Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you, you can't tell me. I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm a, a therapist. I mean, it's, you can't tell me that you know all therapists are happy. I mean, they're either. I mean, I'm glad that it was angry because at least you had some passion in there because a lot of times it's just the board therapist. I mean, who would want to go to the board therapist? <laughs> right. Um, uh, so, uh, man, so then from there, how did you move into life coaching and then everything you're doing now? 
Yeah, so um, so I did a, a different training uh, to get my certification as a life coach, and then um, and what I what I realized with the clients that I was working with, you know, when and when I say clients, there's there, <laughs> I have you know I have paid clients obviously, and I have clients that I volunteered with, you know, to get the hours that you need for certification, but. Um, I had the people that I worked with in the beer industry, you know, all of them were flabbergasted that I was even in the beer industry. I don't really drink beer. Isn't my favorite thing. And they're all like, why are you even doing this? So instead they had asked me questions like, you know, my husband's an ass, you know, what do I do about this? And, you know, they're asking for advice. And at that time I was fairly directive and I would tell people, you know, what to do. But what I was noticing in these conversations, both with you know, friends and colleagues up to clients is that the relationship that they're having with another person was really reflective of the relationship they were having with themselves. Yes. And that's kind of what, um, I wanted to really create a dialogue about because it's so important. And I think so many people forget because when we get into relationships, we're always thinking about the relationship, the other person, uh, you know, all the issues that come with that, but uh, we rarely look inward. We really, we rarely look into the mirror, you know? Yeah, we hardly ever look in the mirror. And the, the, the funny thing is, is that the way we treat ourselves in a lot of instances are the way we allow our significant other to treat us. So if, if we're looking in the mirror and what we see is something we don't like, we see ourselves as, I mean, beyond just kind of the, you know, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm crazy, but we get to the um, I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy, you know, right. the deeper shit. Right. You, know, you, you end up being with someone who's going to confirm mm. that you are unlovable and unworthy. Right. And then so when you have that experience, and of course, if you are with someone who um, confirms or treats you in a way where you believe you're unlovable and un unworthy, you're only cementing those beliefs by that experience. Absolutely, because you know I was listening the other day to uh, the radio, and I got confirmed that we every second our brains pick up about eleven or eleven million bits of information every second. We are only able to be aware of about forty bits of information at a time mm. in a second. Right. So, if we have all this information available to us. How do we know what to focus in on? And we focus in on the things that we're pretty much aware of, you know, we're looking for. I use an example um, quite frequently with clients and actually in the class too, that uh, when I went to buy my white Subaru Impreza, that I didn't know how many Subarus were on the road. I hardly ever saw them. Right. I hardly ever saw white cars because at the time I was driving a Ford. It was a company car. I saw lots of Fords. I saw a lot of gray cars and or silver cars. So I saw all of these. As soon as I drove off of that lot buying this freaking car, I saw more Subarus. <laughs> right. And it was like every other car I saw was white. Right. Because that's what was in my awareness. So if we're having these conversations with ourselves that we're stupid, we're fat, we're ugly, and you know, crazy and we're unlovable and we're seeing this in other people because it's in our awareness you're right it not only just cements it but now we're looking for it in more instances and we're looking for more evidence to continually cement this so that we really kind of grow up and continue to evolve thinking we're really pieces of shit 
Yeah, it's almost um, like without even being aware of it, it, it it's like self-bashing. So if, yeah, absolutely. If, if you listen to your subconscious, because you're probably not aware of it, and you go by just what you're attracted to, and what you're attracted to is tied to your wiring, and what you've been through and all that, and you find someone who's going to not treat you well, or create a unsafe space for you, you're, you're in action, you are bashing yourself, you're lowering your potential, you're stunting your growth. Yeah, the uh, you know I, I talked a lot about evolutionary psychology. Um, it's kind of one of those foundational things for me when I think about uh, human behavior. Uh, I think it's all tied to you know kind of evolutionarily how are we wired? What kind of environment are we wired for? And uh, one of those things is we're wired as infants, you know, and then that continues on for familiarity. We're looking for familiarity, right? And here, you know, you're looking for something that, uh, and, and you know, I, I know sometimes it sounds like pop psychology, but um, if you're used to, you know, and if, for my female clients in particular, if you're used to a, a male who's an asshole, and that's your dad, it's familiar to you, and it's reinforce, you know, reinforcing these beliefs that you have about yourself. You're going to end up being with an asshole. Yeah, you know what's, um, man, and I'm so passionate about this topic because um, through my experience with working with, you know, probably three to four hundred kids in the span of five years in nonprofit, um, mm -hmm. the common thread was the absent father. So whether the dad was uh, either emotionally not there or physically not there, we live. I just realized that we lived or we live in a fatherless nation. And I felt the direct, uh, res the, the response of that, like the, the direct ripple that had on these kids. And and listen, women were, you know, the girls were standing too close and the guys were looking at everything I did. And, and it was just, they didn't have a positive uh, male role model growing up. And yeah. so, you know, then they go down that path, you know, and the way they cope is of course, uh, Reactions, drugs, alcohol, you know, uh, uh, promiscuity, you know, whatever it is, food, etc. Yeah, it's uh, our the way we medicate ourselves, self-medicate, um, or even try avoid. I mean, there's, uh, as you know, in psychology, we have you're either self-medicating or you're doing an experiential avoidance, so you don't have to think about the bullshit that's going on in your life. So that's why we get involved with you know drugs and um, the promiscuity and heck I had a I, I work with a lot of kids too I had a kid who his parents were I mean he had he had two parents you know lucky for him and they, socioeconomically they did pretty well um, but he would stay up till five o'clock in the morning reading books. And the parents really had no problem with this, which, okay, I get, okay, the fact that he's reading books, he's not doing screen time, which, you know, as you know, is, is a huge issue at times, yeah. um, but he was staying up till 5 a.m. reading books wow. and then having to go to school two hours later. Right. And so he was exhausted, doing horribly in school, and when I finally got to talk with him, you know, he came in because he was doing uh, poorly in school and he had some angry outbursts. So they're like, all right, you're going to go talk to the therapist. Um, he came in and he hasn't been dealing with the fact that his dad died. His, his natural father, his biological father had died. So instead of thinking about that, he just read. He right. escaped into fantasy land. Oh, that's interesting. 
So even though we think sometimes what we're doing, the coping that we're seeing kids do is, you know, healthy because, oh, he's reading. That's great. We want kids to read. He was avoiding so actually all, dealing with the underlying issue. So all these uh, millions of Harry Potter fans are actually avoiding their lives. Could be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can't blame them. Yeah. So here's the thing. And, and, and listen, I struggle with this, too. You know, when it comes to relationships, there's the piece that we're talking about, which is um, make sure the person is good for you. Right. Make sure you're breaking patterns. Make sure you are going to be with someone, invest in someone who um, who who you deserve. Right. Who's going to treat you well, et cetera. But then the other half of this coin is is what if you're what if what you're attracted to your chemistry is with, you know, the the asshole or the you know the like how do you how do you be with someone that you know is good for you if the sparks aren't there because the sparks came from toxicity well the i think once you get to the level of awareness that there this is toxic mm -hmm. is when you have the opportunity to make the change i mean in the in you know the change theories out there you'd be considered what's called pre-contemplative you don't know Right. You don't know that right. this is, but you may have family members telling you or friends telling you like, you know, this guy is no good. This person sucks. It's, you know, it's, you're just repeating this pattern. But it's that once we get to that level of awareness like, oh, this isn't right, then we, you know, you, you get to the point where you go, all right, what is it that I really want? What do I really, and more than want, what do I really need? Mm. And that's those non-negotiables that we often talk about. Right. Um, I actually like to work with my clients to work through kind of their underlying values to understand um, what's most important to them. The, it's it's incredible once you realize. I mean, well, we can talk about values, and you know, it's you know, honesty, for example, should should be on everybody's list if oh, it's not 100%. usually surprised. Uh, and um, honesty and respect. Exactly. And I mean, if those aren't there, there's, you know, an issue. But really, it's kind of like if you were going to. Uh, so I do this exercise all the time. I mean, literally all the time, except for someone who's suicidal. It's my tombstone exercise. And it came from acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's, it's fantastic. And it's what if you were to save your family the hassle of actually you know chiseling out a tombstone if you're going to have that or a plaque or whatever if you were going to have it made for them and have it placed what do you want it to read how do you want it to read and you're not going to put on there that you were a piece of shit who you know had horrible relationships you're going to put things on there a lot most people are going to put things like um you know i want to be a good father good person blah 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 well those are goals Right, mm -hmm. we we are not goals. We as people are not goals. We are something else that's driving us. We're more values that are driving us to achieve certain goals. Right. So if the goal is to be in a healthy relationship, all right. Well, what does that healthy relationship look like? So in this tombstone exercise, we get down to kind of the the core of what drives you to do the things in life that you really. You know that that are you that you know make you special that make you the the individual that um, uh, is unique and loving and you know whatever is a bright light in the world and what it boils down to for most uh, there's you know, there's things around compassion obviously respect we've talked about honesty there's going to be for some people there's going to be uh, spirituality others there's going to be uh, 
family. Mm, right. You know, there's you know connection, community. There's all these other things. So the tombstone would read something like, you know, here lies Chad. He was um, a spiritual uh, teacher who uh, loved his family, was compassionate, and um, you know had an open heart. Something to that effect, whatever it may be. And now I get to actually make decisions. And not only my relationships, but other things that I do in my life, based on the individual that's fucking written on the tombstone. Right. What does that look like? Who's that person going to want to be with? Who's going to support that individual? And so when we have that information, you know, with that level of awareness, the assholes go away. Yeah, I love it. So, guys, if you're listening... Um, and I don't know why I say if you're listening, obviously, <laughs> if you're hearing me, you're listening. <laughs> um, try this exercise. So after you, after you uh, don't do it now because we want, we want to continue this dialogue and we, we want you to hear us. But once um, you're li done listening to this podcast, do the tombstone exercise. Write down uh, basically, it, it's basically uh, who you are, but not tied to what your ability, right? It's basically who you are as a person, your value, your, you know, what, right. you're, what you're bringing to the table, not with like what you've accomplished, not goals, but who you are. And I think that uh, what's really interesting about that is you're kind of taking yourself out of self and you're seeing this. Um, and if you are not able to write anything down, then that's telling. That kind of tells you something, right? Absolutely. So I have, um, I've had clients, it's interesting, the, 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 the adolescent uh, clients that I have that, you know, the, the sixth graders who write stuff down, you know, they're like, you know, good students and, you know, have friends and, you know, they, they kind of put it at that level. But, you know, sometimes they're quite humorous. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then as, as my clients get older, my 73-year-old client is the oldest client I have right now. He, uh, I mean, he had this, like, really kind of eloquent one-liners, and uh, as, as you look at it, you get to see that as we do age, we do more reflecting. And, uh, but kind of narrowing it down to one word or, you know, a few, you know, uh, for that phrase uh, really does help cement in our mind. Because as I said earlier, you know, with, if we only have 40 bits of information a second we're really aware of, having an entire phrase is, isn't going to be able to stay there. So, but if we have, you know, teaching and learning and compassion in there, like, oh, we're going to start seeing the world in a different way. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, it's important. And, um, man, for anyone who's out there dating and uh, so many people in our community uh, struggle with and they're confused about your relationships and what to look for and, and what to front load, I mean, initially, I think, you know, if you were to put someone through a strainer because there's layers, I think the first the first thing is is attraction, right? I mean, you have to be attracted to someone. Um, and of course, you should be open. I don't think you should have uh, um, types that are so narrow, you know, that uh, mm -hmm. that are especially aesthetically. But, you know, you have to feel chemistry. You have to feel attraction. But after that, then you have to ask yourself, um, is this person treating me in a way that I deserve? And a lot of people don't ask themselves that. They just go by what feels good or, you know, because someone has abs or money or drives us or whatever, and they're attracted to them. And they, But that attraction doesn't give you legs in building a relationship. Yeah. And I would actually add, uh, and you know, deserve for some people 
um, especially if you're really still kind of down on yourself, deserve maybe um, right. you know inadequate. So yeah. I mean, what about the person that supports you? You know, we really should be looking for the person that's going to support us, not yeah. financially, but support who we are as you know powerful individuals. Right, and I think the word is is uh, is safe. Are they safe? And under safe, it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's support. Are they championing your story? Are yeah. they, you know, um, loving you without condition? Are you know, all that stuff? Right. Absolutely. The uh, you know the the one thing I, I wish happens more, at least with my clients. I mean, it might be different for you know uh, for you. My clients are coming to me. It's mostly women. You know, when I'm when I'm talking coaching, relationship coaching, it's mostly women that are coming in going, "This shit sucks. What do I need to do about it?" Right. And I have, and I really would like. To have the the guys that see themselves or who are being assholes in relationships come forward, or the one that the person's complaining about come forward more. Well, they're not coming forward because they're not aware or willing to take responsibility. <laughs> right. And I, well, I know, but I really <laughs> they're going out the back door. It's called ghosting. <laughs> it would be wonderful if they did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, well, I think that's the first step, and I think coming forward and actually taking ownership and, and wanting to look at yourself um, and also how you affect other people, that's the, the very first step, I think. And I mean, that was for me, you know, when I was in my uh, 30s, I went through my rebirth and then uh, through a divorce, I took my first step forward, you know, and that's the first domino. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, men, <laughs> we encourage you to step forward. We encourage you to uh, uh, look into the mirror. We encourage you to um, man, I don't know, be vulnerable, be, uh, to look inward, I, I think. And you're not doing this to <laughs> get more partners. You're doing this for yourself so you could live uh, at a higher potential, bring more to the table as a human being. Yeah. There's a, a good friend of mine. She's doing a study on loneliness for people that are actually in relationships. Oh, and some yeah. of the things that she's found so far, and this is, you know, she hasn't gone into the depth yet on the the um, in the research, so it's not available yet. But what she's finding is that uh, angry people tend to be lonelier in within a relationship than uh, people that are happier. Oh, absolutely. And I was so, one of them. And I, I think because when you're angry, who wants to be around you? You're actually creating your own prison. Yeah, exactly. And if you're stuck in a relationship, not stuck. If you're if you're in a relationship and you're the angry one and you're lonely, I mean that should be a wake up signal because we're not supposed to be lonely. I mean there are going to be times where we're going to be alone, mm. but that's different than being lonely. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and it's okay to feel lonely at times, but I I think that if you are constantly feeling this aloneness, uh, this that you're alone in this world, that you know all that, then yeah, that's a that's a that's a huge sign. Yeah. And you know, there's nothing more sad than feeling alone or lonely in a relationship. <laughs> that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that means you're you're all in your head. You're not being with another person. Right, you're, uh, there's there's there, there's engagement lacking, and we don't know yeah. where it's coming from. Probably both sides. You're only fifty percent of this coin, but I I really believe that one of the greatest signs I think is um, that you know that your relationship is not working is actually yeah when you feel really alone in a relationship for whatever reason. Yeah. Yep. 
And there's, I mean, and another good sign of a healthy relationship is being able to sit together in silence and be perfectly comfortable. Right. Which is hard. Very difficult. Especially if you don't like being alone with yourself. <laughs> if you don't like being in your own head sometimes, there's, it's difficult then in silence. So, yeah. well, so how would you uh, start that process? So if you actually, um, and, and so many people are, are very uncomfortable with themselves, like, you know, they can't go sit at a, uh, at a, at a restaurant by themselves. They can't, uh, um, I don't know, uh, you know, have, go out to dinner by themselves. They just can't be alone. How would you start the process? Um, and this goes back to kind of what we started with is the relationship with yourself. Yeah. The, um, well, I know this seems so, uh, for me, it seems so cliche. It's, it is really setting up some sort of mindfulness practice where you become really aware of your thoughts. Because mm. a lot of times we don't know why we, you know, feel the way we're feeling. Right. So we need to first have this level of awareness. It all really begins, a lot of this stuff really kind of begins with a level of awareness. I mean, I do, um, you know, leaves on a stream practice uh, with my clients all the time. Yeah. And with the leaves on a stream, as you're sitting there, you know, imagining yourself on a, a bank of a stream and leaves are floating on the top of the water just kind of, you know, drifting by. The, the goal is to take a thought, something that you're noticing in your brain or in the environment or something that you're feeling and place it on a leaf and let it float down and put the next thing that comes in and put it on a leaf. But you're really noticing what it is that you're feeling. So if you're feeling like sad, for example, and you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, there's, there's sad. I'm going to put whatever that is the goal eventually becomes, well, what kind of sadness? You know, are you sadness, sad about what? Where is that coming from? And exploring that through the process, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sad about, you know, um, you know, my dad, you know, was never, uh, was never nice to me. Yeah. Okay, well, then there's a dad thought. All right, let's put that on there. And as we become aware of where these feelings and the thoughts are coming from, we then have choice and power that we can uh, can really kind of start influencing where it's coming from. But most of the time, in those instances, if you don't already have a good practice going and you don't have a good solid community around you of friends that you really feel like you can talk with, mm -hmm. you're going to need some help. Yeah. Did you have an amazing dad growing up, Chad? Or no? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um. You know, it's like the white Subaru thing where because I'm um, writing a book about the fatherless nation and men and all that uh, and, you know, the new standard for women, um, I've just been thinking about like the absent father a lot. And I, I seriously, out of everyone I know, maybe one or two people um, have actually had amazing dads growing up who were role models and positive and, you know, said that, that they, they were beautiful and took them fishing and, you know, all the, all like the, the kind of dad we see in movies. Um, yeah very rare yeah yeah it is the uh, of course you have to ask yourself is that um, because you know again we're going to attract more like-minded people you know is you know is that really what's there or is it based on where we're living is it you know cultural socioeconomic I mean it's hard to say but I would I mean I have 
with the clients that I see, very few of them have like good dads. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> my dad's an asshole. So the uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. And so, so here's the thing, you know, um, and I think I think so many are nodding their heads in agreement with you right now. And here's the thing: it's not about blaming dads or anything, but it's no. about breaking that pattern. And I feel like. Um, if you allow yourself to date people who are unhealthy and going to uh, create an unsafe, unsafe space, and you're you just you're, you're contributing to the problem, you're contributing to the uh, you know the generational uh, uh, transmission process. Where then, if you have kids, you know there's going to be more dysfunction. It's like that's why it's so important. Like people almost have a responsibility in this world. It's like uh, it's like you know recycling to be with someone healthy, healthy so they can break this pattern. Yeah, and I want to know at what point did it really kind of occur? I mean, if we think about it, like, you know, my dad's, you know, an asshole, and he wasn't a very good father, and I know that his dad was also an asshole and not a very good father. So, I mean, that was learned and transmitted down. I don't know about that great-grandfather or that great-great-grandfather. At some point in time, there had to be one that was at least a good dad. Yeah, of course. And I, I th overall, and I think that um, today as men, there's a lot of confusion on our definitions. Yeah, and do we the but the and the images that we're fed are this you know machismo you know we have to only be you know or can only be masculine. Right. You know, we can only be, you know, all puffery. And, you know, that's not, that, that goes against our nature as well. And th you know what, that's why, that's why, and I'm also, gonna, I'm actually going to get a tattoo of it on my shoulder. Uh, that's why the word transparency and vulnerability, um, it's, it's such a flag that I'm running with because that's the soil, that's the beginning of everything. And I think men need to show themselves. They need to show who they are, not put, you know, they're not, not like run with a billboard of what they do or what they've accomplished, but who they are as a person and what kind of space they can create. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had a, a, an adolescent uh, who's actually an eighth grader who my first, my first session with him, he sat, his, his stepfather had died literally two days before, very, very close to his stepdad. And I'm like, wow, that must be really emotionally hard for you. And he's like, real men don't cry. Mm. <laughs> like, that, oh, that's, like, that's like the worst thing. Yeah. So, so when someone says that, I get very curious about the person that said it. Um, if he's a real man, because <laughs> that means he also believes that you should. Basically, when you say you don't cry, you're basically saying you shouldn't feel. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. and real men do feel. That's what makes them real. Right. And when we're told not to feel, the depression, anxiety, you know, kind of those core. You know things that people, a lot of people, unfortunately, more and more people are experiencing you know, that depressed mood. At least, become much more alive. Yeah, because we're not touching on, you know, the 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 essence of you know a human, which right. is an emotional being. Right, right, absolutely. I like the word that you use, human. I think we have to go back to being human again. You know, humanizing yeah. ourselves. I love, um, and you know, I love the work that Brene Brown is doing because she kind of. Um, brought the word vulnerability into the, the forefront. You know, she is the one that popped that bubble. And uh, I think it all starts there, guys. So whether we're talking about relationships with other people or yourself, or if you're a man or if you're a woman, it really doesn't matter. Um, if you're not vulnerable, if you don't practice that, and of course it is terrifying. And it's also something, it's like a muscle where you have to exercise it. And I think, you know, the masses, or at least the people that I've talked to, um, 
it's it, it's it's a it's a muscle that they rarely have done have used, mm-hmm. so it's hard for them. But I really think that uh, vulnerability, showing yourself, um, knowing that you that knowing that some people aren't going to like you, knowing that you're going to get hurt, and you know that's just life, that's just love, and so. Um, not negotiating that and really being vulnerable because uh, when you're vulnerable you're allowing yourself to feel and by doing that the action of that you're telling yourself that you matter so when people don't allow themselves to be vulnerable they're muting themselves uh, hence disconnecting the relationship they have with them right and you'd mentioned uh, something about liking the um, you know, not everybody's gonna like you and that's that's a really important message because if everybody likes you, then I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that you're not really being yourself because we're not going to get along with everybody. No. We're not supposed to get along with everybody. But we're going to have differences of opinions. I mean, I'm not talking about you're going to hate everybody, but there's, I mean, we're going to have differences of opinion. And are you just allowing yourself to be beige? blend into the background God, you know, so that they can walk on you. I mean, that's that's the question I have. I have clients that come in, the kids all the time, that come in going, oh, everybody likes me, or I want everybody to like me. And it's like, well, to do that, you have to give up a part of who you are. Yeah, and you know what I got to say about that is if everyone likes you, no one likes you. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically, in order for, so, or if, if people hate you, there's going to be people that who love you. So, yes. you know, I know as I'm posting, you know, my shit and I'm talking into the phone and I'm, I'm being very John Kim, I know there's people that hate me. I know that they think I'm an idiot or that, you know, I'm doing things that are unethical and all that. Um, but I also know that, that I'm making an impact or other people enjoy my conversation or the words I, 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 I uh, either write or, or talk about, or the dialogue I, I create. And if I felt that everyone liked me, I... I would know that there's something false there and I would know right. that no one likes me. So yeah, I'm exactly. okay. I'm definitely okay with people not liking me. It just means that, uh, it just tells me that there are, that there are people who do, you know? Yeah. One of the, the other things that you just, you mentioned earlier was mattering and that's, you know, my, my little tagline on Skype is being curious and mattering. Um, and I wrote that during a time when I was taking a class on, uh, on meaning and the importance of finding meaning, not only just about life, you know, our specific life, but also the, the stories that we tell. Right. Because within the stories that we tell, there's, in, in most of the stories, I mean, I don't know many people, I mean, unless they're a little narcissistic, most people aren't going around telling these fantastic stories about how wonderful things are. Um, all the time, we usually tend to share the stories of what sucks, right? The, the, these are the horrible things that have happened to me. And in these horrible things that are happening to us are the times when we get to grow. Right. Right? If, if everything was perfect, you know, if you see it out on Facebook and everything's perfect, and they're lying to you because not everything's perfect. Yeah, of course. And if it is perfect, we're not, we're not living. Quite honestly, I mean, if we're actually living, we're not, nothing's going to be perfect all the time. Right. And, or you're just overly happy and, you know, you're just <laughs> like, oh, my God, that was amazing. I got ran over by a car. It was a blessing, <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a different story. But, the, uh, but, in, but in those experiences where we have an opportunity to grow, there's meaning for us. There's something special about those. And, you know, the unfortunate side is we don't share – 
enough of what it is that we've learned. We go into the nitty-gritty details, right? And as we learn to talk about what we've learned and we share that with people, we help other people kind of make sense of their experiences without having to impose our, uh, our specifics onto them. Right. You know, for example, in my story, you know, I've, I've already said my dad's an asshole, so I'm not going to go through the full story, but I can tell you that what I learned from my main story is that people are, cap people are capable of doing bad things, but it doesn't mean that they're bad people. And people that ask for help aren't helpless. Mm. Yeah, I love it. So if I share just that, it's much more powerful than if I gave you all the nitty-gritty details. Right. Right, which all I'm going to be doing at that point is seeking sympathy. And that's not what I want. Right. I, um, I went to a funeral yesterday, and I was observing... Um, and my uncle passed. And I was observing, you know, the, the the people, their reactions, and you know, uh, the, there's a picture of him, and they, they were speaking Korean, so I have no idea what they're saying. But <laughs> I, mean, I, I imagine they're talking about his life and what he's done and all that. And of course, selfishly, I kind of reflected on my own life and you know what um, what my how how my tombstone would read, I guess. And mm -hmm. man, I am, and especially just having this conversation with you today. Before I die, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to, to make some kind of dent in men being less assholes and, and, yeah. and women, women having new standards and new definitions and doing everything I can to break this pattern so that there are healthier relationships, better experiences, which is going to lead to new beliefs, better beliefs, and standards going up and less dysfunction, chaos, and, and, and all the shit that, you know, gets us to cope in unhealthy ways and you know that whole slippery well falling into that um i think it's so important yeah i agree and i'm sorry for the loss the, oh, um, yeah. thank you um you know it's it's interesting that you're talking about your the selfish thoughts and uh it, it made me um reflect on something i was i once read that um every thought that we have other people have had the same thought mm -hmm. And so while, you know, you're sitting there reflecting on your own life, I guarantee you there are a lot of other people in that room that were also reflecting on their lives. I've done the same thing. I've been at funerals where I barely even know the person. It's, you know, support of my husband and I'm reflecting on my own life. I think that's why everyone's crying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh God, what did I do? Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I, you know what? Thank you for this conversation. I think it's important. And uh, and I just also want to say that, you know, whenever I talk about men and relationships and all that, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not putting myself on a uh, soapbox like I also am not perfect. I've you know, I've made people feel unsafe. Um, mm -hmm. I, I tattooed this uh, love hard on my bicep uh, after my last relationship because I know I could have loved harder. So. Um, whenever I talk about these things, it's it's never me telling someone what to do. I just know mm -hmm. that there needs to be some kind of change, and um, you know, and I'm also not perfect. You know, I, I could also be an asshole at times. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, we all have that potential. Sure. We're human, for God's sakes. It's, but it's, as you said, it's being vulnerable. It's owning up to the right. fact that, yes, exactly. you know, I was an asshole. And in a relationship, I do want to add this. And this, I think, is really, really key in a really strong relationships. And I'm not going to say necessarily healthy. I'm going to say strong relationships mm-hmm. is allowing someone the space to fuck up and letting them fix it. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, because you know, uh, uh, most people want to either fix it for you, mm-hmm. or they, you know, or maybe they'll judge you because you can't. But yeah, allowing them to fuck up and and letting them fix it. I mean, that's actually uh, creating safety. Yeah, it's if we can't. I mean, if I say something stupid, all right, and I don't mean it. If that is held over my head for years, right. I'm going to be so resentful. Right. You know, if if I'm allowed to say, you know what, I said this, I need to repair this because that's not what I meant. You know, I'm really sorry, and this is what I really meant to say, and it not be something that lingers and you know is uh, is going to be be there, and I'm going to have to feel guilty about it. Um, the relationship's going to be more than just successful. It's going to be really strong. Right. So sometimes, sometimes we do have to let go. We have to forgive. Absolutely, of course. Yeah. And forgiveness is—it's not a light switch. It's not a one-time thing. Uh-uh. It's a continual thing. It's a part of life. Well, Chad, thank you for the conversation. And uh, guys, you can meet Chad. You could go to our, our site, uh, shift, S-H-F-T dot us, and you can book sessions with him. If you take the Catalyst Intensive, Chad's one of our instructors. He teaches you on how to coach people uh, through relation- with relationships. And uh, where else? Anything else you want to uh, uh, tell us about where we can find you? The, uh, that's, those are really kind of the best ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and could, well, give us an email. Maybe someone wants to email you. Yeah, the uh, it's the email is chad at chadkreider.com, and Kreider is spelled C-R-Y-D-E-R, which also points if you just go to chadkreider.com, that's my email, or my uh, website, so you can read more about me there as well. Cool, awesome, Chad. And uh, two words to really uh, put into your forefront, your intentions today, um, and also I'm reminding myself, it's the two words that, that's on Chad's Skype, and it's the word matter and the word meaning very powerful words yep all right guys be well and uh chad i'll talk to you soon yes thanks awesome Bye. thank you thanks for listening to the catalyst life coaching podcast presented by shift if you'd like to learn more about what you've heard on today's show head to shift.us that's s-h-f-t dot us for more information Feel free to rate us, review us, and tell a friend.